0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, perhaps you'd like to turn back to that portion of God's Word that was uh, read to us earlier. And we're not going to be looking at the entire chapter this morning, but we're going to look from verse 6 through to verse 11. So we're going to be focusing on verse 6 through to verse 11 of Romans chapter 5. Before we do, let us just pray and ask God for his help. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you, Father, that we can think about Christmas and the birth of Christ, but we can look forward to the cross, knowing that it was there that the, that the God man, the perfect Savior, that it was there that He shed His blood, that He died in our place for our sins, so that we could be saved. And Father, we pray that as we think upon this glorious truth this morning, As we think about the gospel and what it means to us who believe and how we can have confidence because of what Christ has done, because of your love for us, Father, we pray that you'll give us understanding. Father, we pray that you'll grant us special grace this morning as we look at your word, that you will open our hearts and our minds. Father, we pray that you help me and give me the words to say that your strength will be made perfect in my weakness. And Father, for those of us who listen, Father, help us to listen well and listen to your word as it is the very word of God. Father, help us now, we ask, not for our sake, but for your glory, we pray it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just as we begin looking at this chapter, or part of it at least, it'll be helpful for us just to have a few questions in our mind. Why can Christians rejoice in the hope that they have in Jesus Christ? Put it another way, Why does hope not disappoint the believer? Or we could say it like this. Why can we be confident as Christians in the hope that we've been given by God? Why can we be assured of the hope that we have? Now, when we speak about the Christian hope, we speak about things like eternal life, glorification. The fact that one day we're going to be made like Jesus, totally set free from sin. And we're going to have a glorified body like he does. We could think about the inheritance that is reserved in heaven for us. This is part of our Christian hope, isn't it? And the fact that one day we will be co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Now that is so amazing that if it was in the Bible, it would be almost blasphemous, wouldn't it? But it is in the Bible and it is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. One day we will be co-heirs with him. And if you want to know what that means, ask Andy at the end and he'll explain it all to you. But the question we must ask is, well, why can we rejoice in this hope? Why can we be confident in this hope? Why can we be sure of it? How do we know as Christians that, 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 that eventually we might not even get this hope anyway? How can we be sure? How can we be confident? Well, in this chapter, we are reminded about why Christians can have assurance of the hope that they've been given by God. Why they can be uh, confident that one day they will inherit all of these things. And the answer that we're given in this, in, in this chapter as to why we can be confident in the hope we have, why we can rejoice in the hope that we have, is because of the love of God. That's the answer that Paul gives us. That's the reason why as Christians we can be sure that we will have all of these things in Jesus Christ, because of God's love. Now, we're convinced of God's love in two ways. In verse 5, we're convinced of the love of God inwardly by the Holy Spirit it says there, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So there's the inward witness, if you like, of God's Spirit. But there's also another way that, that we can be convinced of God's love, and that's by God's working in history. It's by looking at what He's done for us in Jesus Christ that we are also convinced of His love for us. And it's because of God's love for us as Christians that we are sure of the hope we've been given. We're confident that we will enjoy all of these things, that we cannot lose it because of the love of God. And the reasoning the Apostle Paul gives in this chapter, or or the part that we're looking at, is this. He says this, he says, If God would send his son to die for us while we were his enemies, he then says, How much more will he do for us now that we're his friends? That's really his reasoning here. If God would do all this for us while we were his enemies, while we deserved hell, while we were rebels against him, how much more will he do for us now we're his friends, now we're right with him, now we've got the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He says, if we've been saved by his death, how much more shall we be saved by his life? He's saying, if this has happened from the death of Christ, how much more now that he's resurrected and he's alive and he's ever interceding for his people, how much more Can we be sure that we will be saved? And so we see throughout this part of Romans 5, the Apostle Paul again and again reasons from the greater to the lesser. He's saying, if God would do this, how much more is he he more likely to do this? And here in this part of Romans 5, we see how the gospel applies to Christians. Sometimes as Christians, we can think, We hear the gospel and, well, that's just for non-Christians. That's just for for unbelievers. They need to hear the gospel so that they can believe in Jesus and be saved, be forgiven. But as Christians, we need to hear the gospel as well. We need to be reminded of it. And here we see one of the applications of the gospel for believers. As we're reminded of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, our assurance grows, our confidence in the hope that we have in Christ grows. And that's what the Apostle Paul does here. He, He looks at the gospel and it reminds us of the confidence we have in Jesus. And so as we go through these verses, verse 6 through 11, I want us to do it in, in three parts. Firstly, we see that Jesus died for us while we were sinners. Secondly, we see that Jesus will certainly save us by his life. And thirdly, we see that Jesus causes us to rejoice in God. And why is this relevant to us? Well, maybe at the minute you're not struggling with assurance. Maybe at the minute you are confident in the hope you have in Christ. But well, there, there are times in the Christian life when you can lack assurance, when you can be under spiritual attack of, from the devil, when maybe you're feeling guilt because of sin, and you can lack assurance, and you can look at all your failures, and you can think, will I really make it? And it's when you're, in time, when you're going through times like that that we need to be reminded of these truths. And, and so it's, it's vital that we understand what is being said here this morning. And so firstly then, we see that Jesus died for us while we were sinners. Verses 6 through 8. And the first thing he does is he describes what we were like. Verse 6, we were ungodly. It says there, you see, at just the right time, Why we were still powerless, or why we were without strength, as the translations say, Christ died for the ungodly. And so here we have two descriptions of the kinds of people Jesus died for. Notice it was not those who had lots of strength and those who were worthy, but it were those who were without strength, was for those who were without strength and those who were ungodly. Now, what did Paul mean? when he said that they were without strength, or we were without strength. Well, it's not referring to physical strength, but it's referring to spiritual strength. We were dead in sin. We were unable to bring ourselves to God. Unable because we were unwilling, and unwilling because we were uh, dead in sin. We, we, we loved our sin, and we didn't want to give it up for nobody. We, we were willing to go to hell for our sin. We were like, that's what we were like. We we, we weren't willing to give it up. We were unable to bring ourselves to God. We were unable to save ourselves. It says in Ephesians 2 verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, this is speaking about a a moral inability. We, We didn't want to bring ourselves to God. And for that reason, we couldn't bring ourselves to God. We were without strength. We were spiritually dead and happy to be so. We weren't victims of the whole thing. We were, we, 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 we were loving it, dead in our sin. We were like a, a, a pig in mud, without strength. And it goes on and it says, we were ungodly. Now the Bible doesn't pull punches when it speaks about the human nature, the, the, the human state. And the reason why the Bible doesn't do this is so we can really see the love of God. It holds up the the black background of our nature as, as, as those who are dead in sin. So that we can see even more brightly the diamond of God's love as he shines his light upon it. And so we were without strength, spiritually dead. And we were ungodly, irreverent, impious, unlike God. Sinful, doing wrong. Sinners, loving to do wrong. Rebels against the Most High. That's what we were like. We were not good, we could put it that way, we were bad. And it says that while we were like this, without strength, ungodly, that Christ died for us. These were the kinds of people that Jesus died for. Christ died for the ungodly. Now what does it mean when it says that Christ died for the ungodly? Well it's saying that he died for our salvation. There's that wonderful hymn that says, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. When Paul says that, that Christ died for the ungodly, speaking about the cross. And he's speaking about the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, he died not for anything he had done wrong, but for all the bad things that we had done wrong. He died not to take any punishment that he deserved, but to take the punishment that we deserved. He died for us. He paid our penalty. He took our punishment. Now, it's important that we notice here that this verse and the ones that follow that speak about the death of Jesus for us, these verses teach what we call penal substitutionary atonement. And it's important that we notice that because some people want to speak about the death of Jesus as though it was just a good example, as though all that Jesus did was shown us, was was to show us self-sacrifice. Well, this is how you are to live. Sacrificial lives for other people. And that was all that the death of Christ involved. Well, that's the lie. It, it did show that, sure. But it was so much more than that. Jesus was dying in the place of others. And it all hangs really on that preposition there, which we translated for. But it, it's, it, it's in the place of, on the behalf of. He died for us. And the reason why it's called penal, substitutionary atonement, and that word penal means punishment. The word substitutionary means in our place. And atonement is speaking about the fact that he, he paid the price for us. He appeased the wrath of God. He died, shed his blood for us. He took our punishment on our behalf. We all know what a substitution is, don't we? we, 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 we even if you don't like football, you've seen it on the telly. And, and even if you don't understand the rules, you've seen when one player goes on and another player comes off, they take each other's place, they hold the board up with the numbers on. That's a substitute. They're taking each other's place. And that's what Jesus Christ did. And who did he do it for? Not for, not for lovely people, but for those who were without strength and those who were ungodly. So the Apostle Paul begins by describing the love of God by the fact that Jesus died for the ungodly. And he goes further, and he really wants to bring it out. He really wants us to grasp it. So now he gives us a contrast. Now he takes human love, and he contrasts it with God's love, with divine love. And in verse 7 through 8, he, 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 he plays off human love with God's love. And here you see that God's love is, is nothing like human love. Human love is minuscule. It's really, it's it's. It's not really worth talking about, if you like, when we compare it with with the love of God. God's love is so much greater. And look at verse 7 there. He says this as he continues to expound upon the love of God. He says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what he says is, You might, find someone who would die for a good person he says it's rare but possibly someone might do it he said scarcely would anybody ever die for a righteous person and so he's got these two kinds of people in mind the righteous is a person who perhaps tries to uphold the laws of the land they want to do what's right they want to to pay their taxes They, they try to to obey the law try to be just but a good person goes further the good person goes out of their way to help people The good person is the kind of guy who who when it's snowing in the morning, you go out your door and he he scraped up all the snow. There was a guy doing that this morning. I don't know if he's good or not. But that's the kind of the good person. The one who who, who helps others. That's the kind of person Paul has in mind here. He's more than just just and tries to do what's right. But he goes out of his way to help other people. He's a good man. And here the the Apostle Paul says someone might die for that kind of person. It's possible. Someone might even dare to die. He says that he's saying it's very rare. But then he goes on and he says, so he says, some might die for good people, but God has shown his love in sending Jesus to die for bad people. That's what he's saying here. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That word sinners is in the present tense. It's telling us it wasn't just a hiccup. We didn't just sin once and then we were, just a, we were sinners because of that. We were in continual sin, lapping it up. We were sinners living in sin, continual lifestyle of sin, in rebellion against God. We were sinners. And it was like that, that Jesus Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here we see there is no love like the love of God, is there? It says in 1 John four ten, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. There's no love like the love of God, and so what is Paul saying here? He's saying, "Well, we can rejoice in the hope that we have in Jesus. As Christians, we can be sure of it. We can be confident of it, not because we fit the bill, not because we are good, not because we impress God, not because we, we are good Christians, but because of the love of God. That's why we can be confident. That's why we can be sure, because of what He has done for us. Look at His love. He He He, he will not let you be lost." You will not get to the end of your life and find out that, that, that you perish at the end of it. If Christ is your Savior, you can rejoice in hope because of the love of God. If God will love you in this way, how much more will he do for you now that you've been saved? If while you were ungodly and without strength and a sinner, that God would do all this for you, how much more now that you've been brought to him, you've been reconciled, you're his friend, you're his child, how much more is he going to finish the job? How much more will he complete that good work which he has started in you? This is what the Apostle Paul is reasoning here. There's that hymn that says, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. So what does this mean then? It means that when we're struggling, when we're doubting, look at the love of God. Look at the cross. And think about all that God has done for you and all that He did for you when you hated Him, when you didn't love Him, and when you didn't care about Him. And when you were were at that point in your life, when you would hear someone speaking about Jesus and it made you angry, it was while you were like that that God sent His Son to save you. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm, I'm really too bad. You know, some people think they don't need Jesus. They think they're too good. and Well, they're the kinds of people that Jesus cannot help. You've got to come to Jesus as a sinner. And if you're here this morning and you know you're bad and and you don't need to be convinced of it, well, you're exactly the kind of person Jesus died for. He died for sinners, for the ungodly. And if this morning you know that's you, then there's good news because Jesus died to save you. He died on the cross to pay for what you've done wrong. All of it. All that stuff that if it was shown on the screen here, you'd run out of church and you'd move out of Chesterfield. Jesus died for that and he died so that you could be forgiven. And he says to you, come to me, believe in me, trust in me, and I'll forgive you and I'll heal you and I'll restore you. And this hope that Christians have, it can be your hope. And it's no good saying you're too bad because Jesus died for the worst if you come to him, if you trust in him. So Jesus died for sinners. Next we see, as the Apostle Paul goes on and he builds up his argument, next we see that he reasons. He says, Jesus will certainly save us by his life. If Jesus saved us while we were sinners by his death, Jesus will now certainly save us by his life. And this is in verse 9 and 10. He says there, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And then he goes on into verse 10, and we're going to look at that in a moment. But what we see here is there are two, uh, f- twice he repeats his phrase, how much more, or much more then." And here we see that, that, that he, he reasons from the greater to the lesser twice. And he's saying, if God would do this, how much more will he do this? And the first much more statement that he, that he makes is in what we've just read. And he says, if we've been justified by his blood... Much more now that we've been justified, we will be saved from wrath through Him, and that's the, that's the first much more statement or how much more statement that the Apostle Paul makes, and he's saying if God would do this great thing, how much this or this difficult thing, this thing which would be impossible, how much more will He do this thing now? This, if you like, this easy thing compared to this thing that He's done. It's like the Apostle Paul is saying. The, the illustration he's using is this: say if I was willing to give you a lift all the way down to London, how much more would I be willing to drop you off at Chesterfield uh, train station? That's the point he's making. If God would do this, how much more is he willing to do this? And so he says, if we've been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from wrath through him? And the first thing he reminds us is that Christians have been justified. That means that Jesus Christ has satisfied the demands of God's justice He's paid for our sins, and the righteousness of Jesus has been given to us who believe. It's been counted as ours. So that means God no longer looks at us with our sin. He no longer sees us with all of the blemishes, all of the things we've done wrong. But he sees us as though we were as perfect as Jesus. He sees us as though we were as good as his Son. His righteousness has been given to us, and we've been declared righteous sinless. I'm justified. I'm justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. That's true for the believer and it says that we've been justified by his blood. It was because his blood was shed to pay for our sins that we have been justified. We've been made right with God and he says because we've been justified, now that we've been justified, how much more Will we be saved from wrath? In other words, while we were unjustified, while we were guilty, while we were condemned, if God would do that in justifying us, now that we are justified, now that we are righteous in his sight because of Jesus, how much more will we be saved from wrath through him? Now when he says that we will be saved from wrath, he's using the future tense and he's speaking about the the coming wrath, the wrath that is to come. And it's referring to the fact that one day God will punish sin. Speaking about divine vengeance at the last day. Speaking about hell and all that that involves. And it says that if we have been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from wrath through him? 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8 says this. It says in flaming... Speaking about the return of Jesus. It says he will return in flaming fire, taking vengeance... On those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, speaking about the return of Christ, he says, We wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The wrath is coming. But as Christians, we've been delivered, we've been rescued, we've been saved from the wrath which is to come through him. There's that wonderful hymn, No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. As Christians, we don't fear condemnation. We don't fear wrath. We don't fear the punishment of God that we rightfully deserve. And the reason we don't fear it is because we've been justified by his blood, the blood of Jesus. And if we were justified by his blood, how much more now that we've been justified Will we be saved from wrath through him? What confidence we can have in Christ. But then he goes on. That's the first much more statement, the first greater to the lesser. And now there's another one. And here we see it in verse 10. And he says "Therefore, if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And here we see that the, he's saying if we were saved by his death, if we were reconciled to God by the death of his son while we were his enemies, how much more now that we're his friends will we be saved by his life, by his resurrection life? Now, to be reconciled, as I hinted at then, it means to be made friends again. If you, if you have a long-standing quarrel with your neighbor, maybe they, 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 they cut their side of the hedge and it made your hedge lean over really low. That's what happened to us. We're not... We're friendly with our neighbors, but it did happen. But, but, you know, sometimes people can get really nasty with their neighbors when things like that happen. But if, say if you've got a long-standing quarrel with your neighbor, and then someone comes between you, and you sort it out, you talk it through, and they, they make you friends again, well, they've reconciled you. And we have been reconciled. If Jesus is our Savior, we've been reconciled back to God. We've, made, we've been made friends with God again. The quarrel that was between us, the, the argument, the, the, the trouble that was between us, the problem that was between us because of our sin. Jesus has taken it out of the way and he's, he's made us friends again. He's brought us back to God. And what he's saying is if, God, if we were reconciled, if God went out of his way to reconcile us, why were his enemies by the death of his own beloved son? How much more now that we have been reconciled will we be, will we be saved by his resurrection life? When it says saved by his life, it's speaking about the life that he now lives, the life that he lives in heaven on behalf of his people, for those who believe in him. The Bible says that he, he lives in the power of an endless life. It says in Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able to save to the uttermost or completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is we could say, in a sense, his his work was finished on the cross. In another sense, the, the work of Jesus hasn't finished. He's still in heaven working for his people. He intercedes for them. He pleads for them. He, 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 he is asking the Father for, for forgiveness, for protection, for holiness, for sanctification, for all of these things. He's, he's, he's our advocate with the Father. And Paul is saying that if Jesus did this, all of this amazing thing by his death, why were his enemies? And now we're reconciled. How much more now that we're the friends of God? Will Jesus, by his resurrected life, his glorified life, his heavenly session, how much more will, will, will we be saved through that? And it's a, it's a watertight argument. There is no way that the Christian can be lost. There really isn't. Look at what the Apostle Paul is saying here. If God could accomplish all this in the death of his son, how could he fail now in this bit? How could he fail in the easy bit? That's what he's saying. If God accomplished the hard bit so easily, how could he fail in the easy bit? That's really what he's reasoning here. Now, we need to be reminded of this, don't we? Because we do, feel, we do fail the Lord. And we do have an enemy who is the accuser. And he will tempt you. And then when you fall, he will accuse you. And he'll say, you, you're not good enough. You, you've blown it now. And it's at times like that that we need to be reminded of what Paul is saying here. If God would save us while we're his enemies, knowing that, that our failures, even as believers, how much more will he save us now that we're his friends? Now, this is not an, an excuse uh, to sin. But if you have sinned, this is where you need to run. This is where you need to go. You need to confess your sins to God and you need to come confidently and boldly to the throne of grace, knowing that that, that God has done so much for you and he will not fail. He will complete the work that he's begun. If so much has been accomplished by Jesus' death, we should be certain of our future salvation, knowing that now he lives forever for us. Romans 4.25 reminds us of that, that he was raised for our justification and he lives in the power of an endless life. so, So can we doubt the love of God? Can we doubt his ability to save us, to rescue us, to complete the work? Well, the Apostle Paul is saying, no. We can have confidence in Christ. We can rejoice in the hope that we have. We can boast in it as though it's already ours. We can walk around like we own the place, if you like. The new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. Because it is ours. And although although you might think sometimes, will I really get there in the end? You can be certain of it. We can rejoice in the hope we have in Christ because of the love of God. And that's how the Apostle finishes in verse 11. Jesus died for us while we were sinners. Jesus will certainly save us by his life. Verse 11, he says, Jesus causes us to rejoice in God. He says, not only that, or not only is this so, but we also boast in God, or we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying saying that we're not just confident in what we have, we're not just reconciled to God and all of these things, but now we rejoice in God, now we boast, boast in him. And he's saying there is no fear whatsoever. We have joyful confidence towards God. He is our joy and not our dread. Hebrews 4, 16 says this, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. God is no longer like that kind of angry father figure that you uh, you, you dare not disturb him when he's working. He's like that loving, tender father that you run into his study and he puts down his pen and he he gives you his full attention. That's what God is like when we can rejoice in him now through Jesus Christ. There's no fear, there's no dread. Do we rejoice in God? Well, if Jesus Christ is our saviour, we can. But notice it's only through Jesus Christ that we can. So he must be our saviour. So, as we finish, why can the Christian rejoice in hope? Why does hope not disappoint the Christian? Why can we be confident in the hope that God has given to us? Well, the answer is very simple. It's because of the love of God. We can look at the love of God. We can experience it poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we can think to ourselves, well, if God would do so much for us while we were his enemies, how much more will he do for us now we're his friends? If he would do so much for us by the death of his Son, How much more will be done for us now that he lives in the power of an endless life? Jesus died for us while we were sinners. Jesus will certainly save us by his life. And because of that, Jesus causes us us to rejoice in God. Well, I'm just going to finish with a word of prayer before I hand back over uh, to Andy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel. Father, we thank you that you've done so much for us, not because we deserve it, but because of your infinite love, because of your tender mercy. Father, we thank you. We pray that you will increase our confidence in Jesus Christ, that you will increase our confidence in the hope that we have, the eternal life co heirs with Christ, an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for us. Father, may we rejoice in you, and may we rejoice in the hope that we have in Christ. Take away any doubt, take away any fear, Father, and remind us of all that Christ has done for us, and encourage us, we pray. Father, we do pray for any this morning who maybe have listened to this and, and cannot yet say that Jesus is their Savior. Father, we pray that you will bring them to him and save them from their sins. We pray as we break bread in a moment that you will draw very near. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.